So I just talking to All right, dear. Hello, I'm Nana. And if you enjoy listening to my sweethearts talk on this show, maybe tell a friend of yours. And maybe they can enjoy it, too. And if you would like to see this little show go a little bit further, maybe check out the Darlings Buy Me a Coffee account. All right. Okay, honey, you can go ahead with your flashlight thing now. Ladies, gentlemen, please take your seats. The spotlight is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. I'm Mystery Matt, and you're listening to the Mystery Matt Spotlight Podcast. This evening, we are doing everything we can to get that echo to stop. (laughs) Uh, We are going to be talking about, what did you say his name was? (laughs) Really? Tom Petty. Yeah, your daughter's favorite artist. I'm tired. I've been up all day playing magic and stuff, and my eyes hurt. So Uber stoned. And that too, that doesn't help. No, so, but I'm completely sober, so we're kind of balanced tonight. A little bit, not really. Because I have to go to work, so I can't even indulge a little bit. Well, at least you have gummies for when you get home. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't expect dinner tomorrow night. I'll be out. Um, but Sarah's got a million and a half pages of the Lifetimes songs, hits, trials and tribulations of Tom Petty Tom and the Heartbreakers. Petty. Oh, we're doing the Heartbreakers Well, as it well. includes the Heartbreakers, because whatever affected the Heartbreakers affected Tom, right? Yeah, that I guess his, so. his vehicle, his baby, right? Um, but the reason we chose Tom Petty, actually, I was surprised you put him on the list to do. Excuse me, was because our daughter, who's seven, for the last three, four years, has been like a massive Tom Petty fan, like crazy, even more so than me. Yeah, yeah, I like. I always liked his music, but she's like obsessed. And. To me, he's just okay. He's not my favorite, and from listening to it over and over and over again now, it's getting less on the favorite side kind of thing. Because of Tom Petty, though, she's also found Stevie Nicks from Fleetwood Mac, so she's into Stevie Nicks, too, now, just her solo stuff. And so she's been listening to a lot of, like, I get in the car now, I'm like, do you want Tom Petty? Actually, I think today I want Stevie Nicks. So she's balancing it out. She's finding, like, a balance, and I think it's because they did that duet together. So... As long as one leads into the other, it's yeah. not so bad. But she's know? also always like Fleetwood Mac, though, too. But She's also only seven, so there's that. She's got damn good taste for a seven-year-old. It's not bad. I've seen worse in a seven-year-old. She likes the Queen. <laughs> and she likes Beatles, you know? So, I mean, she's she's got good taste. She's starting to come around on Guns N' Roses as well. There's nothing wrong with Guns N' Roses. That's I prefer that over Tom Petty. <laughs> I do and I don't. Some songs, yes. Some songs, no. The content or the swearing is more so in Guns N' Roses than there is in Tom Petty. Well, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. All right. So let's, without further ado, let's let's meet Tom Petty. Yeah, give her. All right. Tom Earl Petty was born on October 20th, 1950 to Earl and Kitty Petty. His mother worked in a local tax office and his father was a traveling salesman. Seven years after he was born, Tom became a big brother to Bruce. He was born and raised in Gainesville, Florida. Earl Petty was a wild gambling man who liked his booze and women. Allegedly, he cheated on Kitty on more than one occasion. 
Um, Earl didn't understand his mild-mannered son and didn't approve of Tom favoring his artistic side. In 1961, with his uncle, Tom visited the set of an Elvis Presley movie where he caught a glimpse of Presley, which left an impression on the 11-year-old. Tom started his first band, the Sundowners, in ninth grade in high school. He played football as well. And the football. Yeah, he had to, I think. Oh. Well, when you're in Florida in that time, it's a big football town, right? And with his father being not so good on the artistic thing, he was pushing his kids into athletics. Mm. Um, <clears throat> he graduated in 1968 and went to college until he dropped out in 1971. Along with Mike Campbell and Ben Tench, sorry, I'm trying to talk, but I'm also tired. Um, he formed the band Mud Crutch. Tom and Mike wrote most of their songs. Did you say Mud Crutch? Mud Crutch. I don't know what that is. I don't know if they just combined two words and... I, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. Yeah, that's new to me. But their stuff is very similar to what you hear with the Heartbreakers. So, uh, 1974 was a big year for Tom. Uh, he married his longtime girlfriend, Jane Benyo, and headed west with Mudcrutch to Los Angeles and signed with Denny Cordell of Shelter Records. Later, Tom and Jane would welcome their first child, a daughter named Adria. By the time Mudcrutch released their first and only album, Depot Street, the band disbanded and Petty would set his sights on a solo career but hated the idea. Ben Mount Tench, I don't know why I can't say his name, it's Ben Mount Tench, and it's hard to say. So ben Mount Tench? Ben Mount Tench. Okay. So try saying that, and it's hard to say, because you want to say Tench. Especially when you're <laughs> reading it. Yeah. Was about to start, anyways, he was about to start his own work, along with a side bass player named Ron Blair and drummer Stan Lynch. Tench invited Tom and Mike, and the Heartbreakers were born. So Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers released their first album in the fall of 1976 called Breakdown. Uh, oh, wait, sorry, my bad. Breakdown would be their first top 40 hit. It took longer for their popularity to gain momentum in their home of, U of the United States. But over in England, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers were huge. Okay, do you know why they were called Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers? No, I'm not clue. No idea why they no put idea. Tom Petty as a separate they, entity? They never really, I think they put him in the front because he was the one who was singing. Mostly, like he was doing. Well, it was common of the time to, you know, put the front man as the front. Casey and the Sunshine Band. Yeah. Anyway, so like they were so huge in England, they had posters and magazine covers galore. I don't even think they realized exactly how big they were over there. They had magazines and posters. Alexa. Hi. Thank goodness. Anybody, get down. No, she wants food. Um, just stop, kitty, kitty. I was hoping not to have to edit this. Yeah, I know. Now we have to at least edit that whole part, this whole part. Okay, so You're Gonna Get It was released in 1978, two years after their first album. In 1978, uh, Tom was embroiled in some legal issues, which would eventually change musicians' futures in handling the music industry. When ABC bought Shelter Records, they were to keep their contracts. ABC sold everything to MCA. This pissed Tom off as he didn't like being sold off like a piece of meat. That's his word. He didn't want to sell out. He didn't want to sell out. He was never about selling out. Never. In his entire career, it was never like that. Um, with the royalty rate they originally signed for would never be enough to now to pay back the front end money. So it would have been left. It would have left them in debt, um, especially in the new company. So in order to get out of that contract and find a more favorable deal, Petty filed for bankruptcy. By doing this, it proved to be a larger problem for the record industry than for Petty because it would show other artists how to get out of their contracts. 
So this would lead to MCA asking Tom if they could give him a better deal and royalties. Would Petty and the Heartbreakers stay on? Petty agreed. So it really worked in their benefit by him playing hardball and, hey, I'm filing for this, blah, blah, blah. So haha, it screws you more than it screws me. So yeah. it actually worked in Petty's favor. And it just shows you the brilliant mind of Tom's, the way he thinks and not letting anybody step all over him, yeah. which is fantastic because not very many people have that. They just want to get famous and they'll do anything to do it. Um, their third album, Damn the Torpedoes, was released in 1979. Issues were raised at what would have been known as the meeting, where it would state that, be stated that Tom was the leader and it was Tom's band. Campbell didn't care. He was just happy to have a gig. Tench and Lynch were not happy, but Lynch would say, say later, it beats flipping burgers. So they had some issues within the band so early on. So it's amazing that they managed to maintain. How long were they together for? Uh, right up until Tom's death. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, some were and some weren't. So you'll see a lot of band members leaving and new ones coming in. So, but Tench and Campbell were pretty much right from Mudcrutch right on. So um, the band strength was playing, uh, playing live shows and were always successful on tour. Damn the Torpedoes was their first major success, but conflict between Petty and drummer Stan Lynch were on the rise as Lynch would often speak against Petty or make snide off-the-cuff remarks. In MTV's Behind the Music, Stan said he was he's the one everybody loved to hate and every band had an asshole. <laughs> Tom took responsibility, admitting that he used to be a hothead during this time. Looking at you, Axl Rose. <laughs> yeah, no shit, eh? Um... <laughs> So Tom Petty battled MCA once again when he found out that MCA wanted to raise the price of their album from eight ninety eight to nine ninety eight. This is back in the seventies, folks. So it, it's it was considered a high price back then, and threatened to withhold their next album, Hard Promises. He made public his displeasure at the price raise as he was thinking of their fans. He eventually won the battle. I believe later on he would have a similar battle over raised ticket prices to his concerts. Petty said that he wants everybody to enjoy his concerts and they're not just for the rich. That his band is supported by the blue collar workers and they are the w people who really wanted to be there. I love this about him personally. I think um, it shows that he genuinely cares for his fans and it's not just about, and, and his music as well. And it's not just about money for him. Yeah. Which I completely grew much more respect for Tom. Well, it, it was also the times too. There was a lot more down with, not society, but like. The the system the, down with the system down that, with the rich know. men yeah but his music is when you listen to it it is definitely more geared to the the blue collar workers the the southern guys who are working in the oils like the oil mines and the oil or not the oil mines but you know what i mean like the oil rigs and then down in the mines to get coal and shit like or and steel and everything like that so i mean yeah i can understand why he would focus that's my demographic this is where my demographic is so I want to keep my prices and my music for that that genre or that set of people. And if rich people want it, they're not out of money either. They're not yeah. out. He just doesn't want the people who, who really actually enjoy their music to be out yeah. of that experience. I wish more artists in this day and age would follow that. <clears throat> Paying two grand for Taylor Quiff tickets. What the fuck is that about? <laughs> okay. Um, so in 1981, Hard Promises went to number five in the charts, but more conflict would arise in the Heartbreakers. Tension grew between Lynch and Ron Blair 
and were often at each other's throats until Blair not only left the band, but the entire music industry in 1982. Howie Epstein, who played with the band on a part-time basis, would officially become a heartbreaker. The first album he'd be a full member on would be Long After Dark. Lynch would continue to cause issues while recording this record by just having a bad attitude and pissing everyone else off. He was... that rumble? I don't know. Something outside, I think. Why is it showing up on the mic? Yeah. Oh. Uh... Thanks, because you... Oh, anyways, he pissed everybody else off. Um, He was fired, but brought back in again. They would tour for a year and a half before entering the studio again. With no producer, they took two years to do their next album. It was during this time that Tom would lose his shit overhearing a demo that had one of his songs remixed. He hated that it sounded better than his original and punched a wall, shattering his hand. Doctors told him he likely would never play guitar again. Surgeons were able to rebuild his hand using wires and metal studs. And after nine months of extensive physical therapy, Tom was playing guitar again. So, yeah, that would do damage to somebody's career, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Southern Accents, which is actually a fantastic album, um, would reach number seven on the charts in 1985. And the band would embark on a two-year tour with Bob Dylan. Oh, oh, I forgot to mention in 1982, Tom and Jane had their second daughter, Anna Kim. You were going to say something, were you? No. Oh, it looked like you were. Um, During those two years on tour with Dylan, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers released Let Me Up, I've Had Enough in, ni- in May of 1987. A week after the album's released, an arsonist lit Petty's Encino home on fire. Petty, his wife, and one daughter and their housekeeper were all at home, but escaped unharmed. Their housekeeper suffered some burns on her arms and hands, Everything except his basement studio was destroyed. To this day, they still don't know who did it. Who started the fire? Yeah. Wow. I know who didn't start the fire. Who? <laughs> it was Billy Joel. Billy Joel didn't start the fire. Oh, <laughs> Later that year, Petty would meet Jeff Lynn, co-founder of the band Electric Light Orchestra, and together would begin working on Petty's first solo album. They wrote the song Free Fallen together. It would be the formation of a supergroup in April 1988 that would see Petty playing alongside a hero of his. The Traveling Wilburys was a concept that Jeff Lynne and George Harrison would come up with during the making of Harrison's Cloud Nine record. Also another great album, by the way. George Harrison's Cloud Nine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lynne and Harrison, along with Bob Dylan, Tom Petty, and legendary Roy Orbison, saw success with the release of Handle With Care and End of the Line. The Wilburys would be cut short with the untimely death of Orbison eight months later in December. Tom's first solo album, Full Moon Fever, was released in 1989 and featured the song I Won't Back Down with Harrison Lynn, Mike Campbell, and Ringo Starr playing in the music video. That would be phenomenal. Yeah, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Um, I do remember that video, actually, so yeah. Um, But can you imagine, like, the star power? Like, the Traveling Wilburys alone had massive star power. Yeah. So. Well, like... They started doing a lot of super bands and stuff like that back in the day, even if they were just like short stints, you know, yeah. to do a couple singles or something like that. But I think the Traveling Wilburys, if Roy had like not passed away, they would have been even bigger than what they were at that time. Well, like it was just like uh, Rockwell or whatever. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. And Full Moon Fever, if you want a really, really amazing album, check that one out. That one's that one's fantastic. Actually, it's probably one of the best albums out there. 
Um, so Tom would bring the Heartbreakers on tour with him, but this seemed to upset a few members, thinking they're not good enough to play live. Sh- they're good enough to play live shows, but not good enough for the record. And I can understand that. You're, yeah, that you're would asked to play his off. solos, back him up on his solo stuff, but like on tour, but you're not good enough to be on the live, like on the actual record. Yeah, I could see how that would get some. That, that would in the piss twist. me off. Yeah, yeah like yeah. You would think you're part of the band, and he's just going in and recording alone. Like, mm-hmm. what the hell? I'm running out of pop. I also have to burp. Excuse me. So, Petty would continue to have Jeff Lynne work with him and the Heartbreakers on their next album, Into the Great Wide Open. The band was still a little hurt over being left off of Tom's solo record, so the sessions were strained. Petty wouldn't do the same on his second solo album, Wildflowers, which I have on vinyl behind Matt right now. Nice. Yeah. Actually, it's kind of River's album. <laughs> but, yeah, she's not allowed to touch it. Um, it's a good album, too. This time, every heartbreaker except Stan Lynch would play on this album. Stan Lynch and Tom Petty, though, had really tumultuous relationship. I'm surprised that Stan Lynch and them stayed working relationship as long as they did sounds like tom petty's got a lot of problems with a lot of people i don't think he intended it that way i think stan lynch made a lot of the problems himself to be honest um so just before tom began working on wildflowers he would go through a turmoil in his personal life in 1996 tom and jane would divorce and this tension grew between the two jane enjoyed drugs and alcohol way too much at this time and it would often lead to verbal her verbally abusing tom so at the time tom um only ever engaged in marijuana use but just after his divorce tom switched to heroin use to deal with the emotional pain oh yeah that's no good yeah he's actually pretty lucky (laughs) thankfully stay away from the chems kids yeah he didn't do it very long but he still did it um so he said that using this is him Quote, using heroin went against my grain. I didn't want to be enslaved to anything. Unquote. In 1999, Petty got treatment, and Petty developed a a close relationship with Stevie Nicks of Fleetwood Mac. Nicks was a huge fan of Tom Petty, and through their friendships, Nicks became friends with Jane. Jane told Stevie that she met Tom at the age of 17, but with Jane's thick Florida accent, Nicks thought she said edge of 17, and thus inspired Stevie Nicks' hit song at the time, edge of 17 uh tom said his wildflowers album was his divorce album <laughs> like kind of like his oh. revenge dress yeah yeah it it was good it, it cleansed him i think it's like that uh alanis morissette song or whatever yeah but it wasn't as nasty oh and tom can sing um in 1994 nearly after nearly 20 years in the band St- stan lynch left the band after friction between him and the rest of the band became too much like hey girl bye See you later, Stan Lynch. Um, In 1999, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers released the album Echo, seeing them return to more of their roots and added producer Rick Rubin. In 1996, they released the soundtrack for the movie um, She's the One, which featured their song Walls with Lindsey Buckingham of Fleetwood Mac playing on the track. The band would also accompany Johnny Cash on Unchained, which would earn Cash a Grammy win for Best Country Album. Um, uh, Echo reached number 10 on the charts On June 3rd, 2001 Petty married Dana York And became a doting stepfather To their son Dylan To her son Dylan um, Controversy would strike again in, 20, or in 2002 When Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers Released the album The Last DJ 
The entire album was an expression on how much the music industry has changed and no longer was about the art of the music and more about the money. The album would piss off many in the industry, including other musicians. Despite the controversy surrounding the album, the last DJ made it to number nine on the Billboard 200 charts. Only to number nine. Well, then why do they keep shoving it down our throat now? Well, that's River keeps shoving the last DJ down your throat. Well, the radio does it too. They don't play that song on the radio. No? No. River plays it all the time. It's one of our oh, favorites. Okay. I don't think she quite understands it, but it's one of her favorite songs. Um, February 23rd, 2003, the Heartbreakers would lose longtime bassist Howie Epstein to a heroin overdose. Epstein used the drug often, and despite the group's efforts through the years, Epstein wouldn't seek help and watched their friend and bandmate slowly die completely helpless. Isn't there a thing going around about that Epstein guy right now? No, that's different Epstein. Oh. Howie Epstein has nothing to do with what's going on about Epstein now. You're thinking Jeff Epstein? I have no idea. The guy idea. who hung himself in prison? I have no idea. Yeah, see, yeah. yeah. It has nothing to do with this. I have nothing to do with this. All right, carry on. All right. <clears throat> in uh, July 2006, Petty released his solo album, Highway Companion, which had the hit song and one of my favorites, Saving Grace, on it. The album debuted at number four on the Billboard 200. Petty, Campbell, and Tench would reunite with their former Mudcrutch member, Tom Leiden and Randall Marsh, and recorded a self-titled album in 2008. At the 2008 Super Bowl, performing four songs together. I don't know where I was going with that sentence. Apparently, I just stopped. <laughs> it's like Mwah. that was it there was no full sentence there i must have been tired writing that at work um in 2010 the band re-released their 12th album mojo and it reached number two. Oh, see that's a little better yeah see they weren't perfect they obviously didn't have a whole lot of number one well, albums. at least they weren't one hit wonders no they far from it right their album hide hypnotic eye released in july 2014 debuted at number one in 2017, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers embarked on their 40th anniversary tour from April to September, culminating, we're getting to the end of everything now, um, in what sadly become their final three shows in Los Angeles. Just days after their last show, on the morning of October 2nd, 2017, Petty was found unconscious in his home in cardiac arrest and not breathing. He was resuscitated and rushed to the medical facility, where he would pass away at 8.40 that evening. He was buried just four days before his 67th birthday. His cause of death was released on January 19th, 2018 as accidental for from mixed drugs toxic, toxicity, combination of various fentanyl, oxycodone, desperniponol, <laughs> I cannot pronounce these words, and all, basically though they were all opioids, and some different sedatives and, anti, and an antidepressant. He had a number of medical issues, including emphysema, knee issues, and a shattered hip, which was putting, he was putting off getting fixed until after the tour. As his pain worsened, he just overused his medication. So they were all prescribed. It was accidental. He just, you know, kind of like basically the same thing that Prince died of. He took too much to, to mask the pain because he didn't re give it time to take the pain away. He would take more. And that's pretty much what kind of did it. So sadly, this is not uncommon, especially during for wrestlers and well, athletes as well. You got the Michael Jackson thing. Well, he was he was killed in my opinion. Yeah. yeah, he was killed in my opinion. Aside from Petty's music career, he had a channel on Sirius XM Radio, starred in the Kevin Costner movie The Postman in 1997, guest starred in the Gary Shandling show, played himself on the Simpsons episode How I Spent My Strummer Vacation, and provided the voice for Elroy Lucky 
Kleinenschmidt in the King of the Hill TV show from 2004 to 2009. Mm. I figured you would probably like, yeah. understand, you know who that is. Um, Tom Petty told stories in his music. He never compromised his art, stayed loyal to his fans for his 40-year career. His music has brought my seven-year-old daughter and I closer together. Not that we weren't close before, but now we have this bond too. I asked her some questions about Tom Petty. So this is this is from our daughter. So I asked, why do you love Tom Petty? And she said, because he's an artist. Where did you first hear a Tom Petty song? She said she heard it on mom's phone and sang Learning to Fly when she was little. When She says when I was little. What are your five favorite songs? <laughs> she said the last DJ, Walls, I Won't Back Down, Free Fallen, and Stop Dragging My Heart Around with Fleetwood, Fleetwood Max, Stevie Nicks. And I asked her, anything else you want to say about Tom Petty? And she said, I didn't know he had a beard, and I was really sad that he died. Me too, baby girl. Me too. I didn't know he had a beard either. Yeah, he did. Yeah. There you go. Um, yeah, so my my five favorite Tom Petty songs was Saving Grace, Walls, American Girl, Running Down a Dream, and Wildflowers. Grizzly Adams had a beard. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's it. That's the Tom Petty not bad. We got 25 minutes-ish. Yeah. That shouldn't be too much of editing. No, I, I might even just send it out as is. It was pretty clean. Complete with the cat? Yeah, complete with the crazy kitties. Well, at least she calmed down now. Kitties get views. Although <laughs> I don't know if that works on audio only. I don't video, know. <laughs> but... Do you have any questions about Tom Petty? Um, How long was he on the heroin and stuff for? Not that. Not as long as some people have been. I think it was only like two or three years. Yeah, but if you compare that to Keith Richards, isn't he still on the shit? Like, holy crap. Keith Richards. Okay, so I came up with the chart of how high are you? You're either Snoop Dogg high. Yeah. Willie Nelson high, which is pretty damn high. Or you're Keith Richards high, which means you're probably dead. Or or living dead. Or living dead. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, Tom Petty was not even, he can't even chart, I don't think. No. 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 Just a weekend user that... I don't know. I don't know why he would choose heroin of all drugs, though, to to necessarily squash the pain of his failed marriage. Well, if it was like the 70s and stuff, it was the big thing. It was the 90s. It was the 90s. Okay, yeah. So it was the big thing going around. Yeah. It was heroin, right? And plus, it, I mean, he had access to it if um, Epstein had it. Howie Epstein, if he was using... And he seemed to be a chronic user of it. So... I think Tom kind of dodged a bullet by saying, hey, you know what? This is enough. I'm done with this. And I think Stevie Nicks also helped with him get off of it, which is kind of hilarious when you think about her drug history. Yeah. Um, she never was into heroin, but she did coke and stuff. Well, who hasn't? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if Petty had engaged in that too, but I could, never, I could not find anything about any other drug use other than marijuana and the heroin. So that's why I didn't put anything in there about it because I'm like, I don't know if there was other drug use. And alcohol didn't really seem to be a big thing either with him. So I think as terms of in terms of artists from that era, from the 70s and on, I think he was probably one of the cleaner ones. Yeah. yeah. And the only reason I can say, you know, he did marijuana is not only did he mention it in his songs a few times, you know. Nothing wrong with a little bit of pot. No, and it's not really a drug. You know, if, if you well. can grow it na like naturally and not chemically fix it, then you're, it's natural. It's yeah. more natural than a cigarette. Yeah. So, and it's legal now. So there's that. 
There's always that. <laughs> cool. Anything else you wanted to add before no. closing it out? I know you wanted no. to add stuff with, with our daughter in here, but she's not here to do it. Yeah, maybe next time. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, I've been Mystery Matt, joined by Sarah and her lovely notebook. <laughs> and remember, kids, don't put things up your nose and don't use needles because needles are bad. All right. Take her easy, guys.